I had my children on the floor. I was on my favorite blanket that my grandmother gave me on the floor like a cat. And I realized in that moment the potential of what our bodies can really do as women. Like I could feel his head, I could do my own internal, like yeah, his head, I could feel it. I was in tears, I was just in tears and overwhelmed with gratitude. Hi and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast, the podcast that is bringing embodied birth wisdom from women from all over the world sharing their natural birth stories. Don't forget to subscribe and download so that you can always have access to these empowering and positive natural birth stories. Hi, my name is Anna and I am the Natural Birth Podcast host. I'm a former midwife who left the system and I'm now the proud founder of Sacred Birth International a woman-owned company with a mission to revolutionize the birth world and bring focus to the sacred and the natural intelligence of the birth process. We do this by providing world-class education, courses, programs and coaching to equip women with the knowledge and the tools to have conscious pregnancies, empowering and positive birth experiences and the most nourishing start possible for themselves and their babies postpartum. We also educate and mentor aspiring birth workers into sacred space holders and physiological birth advocates in the sacred birth worker mentorship, the Beyond a Doula training. If you'd like to work with me or take any of our courses, programs, or the mentorship, then head on over to sacredbirthinternational.com to find out more. Today on the Natural Birth Podcast, we have Christina Turner. Christina is a writer, birth activist, sacred birth keeper and red tent woman circle facilitator with over 25 years of experience. She wrote the book Natural Birth, a holistic guide to pregnancy, childbirth and breastfeeding after giving birth to her three children, the births that we will hear all about in this episode. The spiritually transformative experiences that she had during these births made her a passionate advocate for the right to undisturbed birth. Christina believes that the way we treat the natural world is linked to a collectively held, often unconscious, view of the feminine as a resource for exploitation. This has led her to deepen her connection with the sacred feminine and sustainable plant medicine. In 2021, she developed a range of holistic birth support products alongside her business partner, Maria Bengtsson. The company they founded, Bredo Organics, develops exquisite handmade products that support women to have empowering and transformative births. Christina trained as a sacred birth keeper with Glastonbury Goddess Temple in 2020 and has held similar trainings in Sweden. She's regularly holding workshops and retreats. Curious about Christina? Find her on Instagram as ownyourbirth. 
Hi, Christina, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Happier to be seeing you today. Thank so you for inviting me. I'm I'm so happy to have you here. I remember, so when I was in Australia, I remember that you and I followed each other on Instagram and you had this really cool photo of you like in the city. You looked like a little rebel on this photo and you were just this like birth activist rebel person that I just thought, oh, she's she's cool. And then you happen to be Swedish, but you're actually living in the UK and you sound very much like an English person with your accent. You Very British. Such a strong British accent, but actually we're both Swedish, which is really hilarious. But we're going to speak English for everyone to understand, Mm -hmm. obviously. So I'm really happy to have you here. You're now a good friend of mine and Mm -hmm. I have not heard your birth stories, so it will be very interesting to hear them. So take it away, Christina. Take us back to when you were young and Mm -hmm. you got pregnant the first Mm -hmm. time. Oh, thank you, my darling. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a punk rocker, I think, at heart. That's my background in the 80s. So that's my rebellious streak, occupying maternity wards and going to demonstrations and stuff. But when I got pregnant with my first child, of course, I had no idea about the systemic flaws with the maternity system or that there was any risk, really, in uh, giving birth in hospital or getting caught up in the whole mainstream way of doing it. My main motivator for choosing a so-called alternative birth, a natural birth, was the spiritual insight that I suspected was inherent in going through this profound physiological transformation and challenging biological process of bringing life into the world. And I was proven so right. My goodness, birth is a huge initiation. And I'm so grateful I followed my instincts, despite the fact that there was not really any support in the surrounding world to mirror that back to me. My background is in a spiritual tradition known as the Gurdjieff teaching. It's one of the esoteric uh, traditions, uh, mystical traditions of the world associated with the Different um, great religions in the world, like Tibetan Buddhism, Sufism, Kabbalah, the yogic parts of the yogic tradition, Christian mysticism, and so on. So the Gurdjieff tradition is an esoteric tradition, and I was very serious about my spiritual inner work at the time that I became pregnant. So I was eagerly exploring every avenue for inner growth. So when this opportunity arose for me as a woman, I grasped it with both hands to go into my conception, pregnancy and birth as consciously as I possibly could. And by consciously, I mean awareness of my place in the cosmos, the cosmological correspondences as above, so below, what's manifesting in my body, what's manifesting in all of creation, the laws of creation playing out in my body, and also being aware, like an observer, an objective observer of what was playing out in me. And I am so grateful to having had this spiritual training because I think it accelerated my journey towards experiencing the initiation that is inherent in birth. And it's a real possibility for every single woman, but that is far too often stolen from us by interference, various forms of interference and disturbance. So I believe that for us women, this is a true, genuine superpower. I don't use that word lightly, 
because it is the road to enlightenment and we have the opportunity to experience it like that when we are pregnant and give birth. And this is what I believe is one of the main reasons why it's been so fiercely suppressed and opposed by the system and the patriarchal system systems that are in place around women's health generally, but childbirth and pregnancy in particular. Mm. And um, yeah, I just want to say, I always say this when I use the word patriarchy or patriarchal systems, that this is in no way something that is associated with men specifically. Patriarchal systems are upheld by women just as much as men, but they are a legacy well, that's a different podcast, but they are a legacy <laughs> of, of patriarchal religion and land mm. ownership and so on. So I just want to make it clear that it, this is not anti-men in any way. And men are harmed just as much as women by patriarchal structures. Mm. Everyone is born. Mm. Birth and pregnancy is not a women's issue. Mm -mm. It's a human issue. We Oof, are all sounds... born. And how it happens really matters. Definitely. So you that's... and I are definitely on the same page of that. Everything you said just resonates so deeply within every cell of my being. Oh, thank you, my sister. Thank you for hearing and for mm. resonating. But yeah, so that's the background to my choices around birth. So my first child, I, I knew, I just knew there was something wrong with society as a whole. I mean, I, like, I think we all have an instinct that there are serious problems with our modern Western civilization, at least all the people that listen to this podcast. Uh, so I had that inkling. And so I was, I was kind of suspicious of the maternity system. And I, so I just read what I could, you know, there was a bit, uh, Ina May Gaskin, Janet Balaskas. Sheila Kitzinger. I read the books that I could get my hands on back in 1995. And I realized that, hmm, I think the less disturbance I have, the more opportunity I will have to have a profound experience and get all the juice out of this transformation that is happening in me and in my body. But of course, you know, just discussing home birth with the the, the people around me in the surrounding world and I had a wonderfully supportive husband and my mother as well but you know there's no one there was no one around me who'd given birth at home nobody I knew nobody to talk to so I didn't quite dare take that full first step with my first child but at the time in Stockholm there was uh, an alternative birth clinic which was adjacent to one of the main hospitals in Stockholm so I chose to give birth there that was a wonderful experience. It was good enough in the sense that it didn't destroy my belief in myself and my ability to, to birth. And for that, I'm eternally grateful to the midwives and the people that made that birth center happen. But it also made me realize that even that disruption of traveling to the hospital in the car, getting in the car, going through, you know, contractions in the car, walking into the hospital, people speaking to me, and then being allocated a room, which we didn't you know, no medical equipment, everything was lovely atmosphere, lovely, kind midwives. But all that stalled my labor, of course. So it took like an hour or something like that, an hour and a half for it to get going again. And then I started working intensely and deeply like I had been doing at home for about six hours before I went in with this wonderful midwife who became my angel, my everything, my God, my goddess. I was just grasping her hands and looking into her, her eyes 
and descending into every contraction with her and it was going really well and I was opening beautifully. And then she said to me, my shift's over now, I'm afraid. This is just the way it works. So my colleague here will be taking over. And for me, this was a, I mean, completely unspeakable, horrific disaster. It was like God said, I'm sorry, the world's got to end right now. And just really sorry, but you're going to lose everything, all your, you know, your anchor, your axis, your center of gravity. That's how profound that experience was for me. And I think it's very important that we give ourselves permission to put words on the intensity of seemingly insignificant things like a midwife changing her shift. That's not insignificant. And, you know, having been a birth director for so many years and seeing how that plays out, it is a huge disruption. It's very unsettling to change that birth space holder, you know, whoever she is, usually she, right, a midwife, in that room. Of course, I totally understand that. So this was your this was your first birth. So you had Mm -hmm. been home for about six hours laboring on your own before Mm -hmm. you had it on in Mm -hmm. and and you had to drive in. And and that in itself, as you just mentioned, is such a disruption to the physiology, does slow things down. And then you ended up, how long were you then laboring with this midwife before she had to change shifts? So I must have got in there about six o'clock in the evening. So it took about an hour to get going again. So seven until nine in the evening, I was laboring with her. And then she had to go. And then a new midwife came. And of course, then the labor slowed down again. So, you know, she was just the the midwife was just sitting in the corner of the room timing my contractions. And it just wasn't happening. So at about 11 o'clock, I realized, shit, if I don't take responsibility for this whole situation now, and again, this is where my spiritual training really kicked in. No one else is responsible. I am responsible for what happens in my life and how things play out. It doesn't mean that you can never be in a victim position. Of course you can, but it was really good I had that spiritual training because I just said, look, this is not working for me. Our our personal chemistry is not working. I want you to go and I want a different midwife. And this is one of the things I'm most proud of in my whole life because once again, it's so seemingly insignificant. It's just she was sitting in the corner of the room looking at a stopwatch, timing my contractions. There was just something about it that was really unsettling me. Now, with hindsight, of course, I know it's because she was measuring me. She was Mm. trying to get me to fit into a clock, into a universe where I wasn't at all. I was heading into timelessness, to weightlessness, Mm. to beinglessness, to nothingness, to that transient, transcendental state you go to fetch your baby. And her relationship with the clock was disrupting me. So, but intuitively, I I, I somehow managed to know this and I managed to stand up for myself. And it feels like my higher self stepped in and protected Christina, even though Christina didn't understand all the consequences of the seemingly insignificant things that were playing out in hospital. So she left and in came the head of the maternity ward. She smelled of perfume, booze and cigarettes. She'd obviously been called in. She'd obviously been called in from a dinner party, but she was a wonderful, wonderful woman. She was super duper experienced, confident. She just like oozed that kind of complete relaxation. This labor is completely brilliant. It's going really, really well. The poor woman just needs to tap into her own power. And so within about 15 minutes, 
she'd kind of taken charge of the room and I could just relax and go back into my transcendent state. And she said to me, look, next contraction, I just want you to think of every swear word you can and have ever heard. And I just want you to voice them all, find your power, find your force, use the anger embedded in you to harness your strength. I mean, she didn't say those words, but that this is what I took from her presence, her presence in the room. She probably didn't say very much at all, but I'm just telling you what I took from her presence. So the next contraction, I was like, you know, turning the air blue with my swear words, but in a very happy, powerful, strong, empowered uh, place. And he popped out like a champagne cork, just like plop. It flew into the hands of my partner, his father. So that was a labor of a total of 12 hours, six hours at home and six hours in this uh, midwife-led clinic. And then I stayed in overnight. I, I got some help with him latching on. The placenta was born physiologically, but at that time I didn't know anything about uh, stem cells and weight for white and not cutting the cord too early. So I don't, my memory isn't super clear about that. But everyone treated us respectfully and I was home within 24 hours. So that was, with hindsight, I realized that was a very positive birth experience, just about as perfect as it can get in a hospital environment. Yeah. But yeah, so that was my first birth. Wow. How old were you the first, for your first? I was 28. Mm. 28. I, I love, I love that. You know, obviously that was a birth center and there was some really good midwives holding space for you there to have that. But I love how in tune you were and how you dared to stand up for yourself because even like I've been, you know, assisting birth with women who are in life, like these real like boss ladies, whatever you call it, you know, like, you know, successful, maybe they are a boss, you know, for other people, like a person that takes charge, has a voice. You could never think that she wouldn't have one in labor, but it's actually super rare, super rare. You get into that deep liminal space you're in that very like just well you're not in your neocortex aren't you so like to actually access that that you did I find that super impressive and that you said that to her that you wanted her to leave that midwife that wasn't supporting you in the way that you knew that you needed this episode is sponsored by Bredo Organics a natural, sustainable, and high-ethics company that I am absolutely obsessed about and use all their amazing oils, sprays, and herbal blends on myself and my clients. Midwives and birth workers have traditionally used herbs to support women's health and well-being during pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum. Herbal remedies to strengthen the body and womb ahead of birth, enhance milk flow, aid recovery, heal tears and wounds in the vulva, improve hemorrhoids and support breast health during lactation to mention a few areas. In their amazing collection of products, you find organic body and massage oils, which I adore the purity and sense of, a room spray to protect the space, Scented rollers like Mother Blessing, one I use in mama ceremonies. Herbal teas, yoni steaming, and sitz baths, 
and scented candles. They have an intimate oil called Pure Bliss that is for the perineum. And they have beautiful eye pillows with organic lavender, to name a few of their gorgeous products. And of course, Christina, who's on the podcast today, and her partner, Maria, who are the proud owners of Radio Organics, have given me a generous discount for you listeners. Get 20% off all their beautiful oils and products for your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the coupon code SACRED. Go to bredoorganics.com to explore all their products and use the coupon code SACRED for 20% off. Thank you so much for seeing and acknowledging that. That means a lot to me. I do think that was my spiritual training because, we, you know, trained to create an outside observer, some your higher self, as it's kind of, you know, known in the spiritual traditions. But if you do that, you practice that a lot, there is some sort of objective part of you that can step in. And I think that was the key takeaway of my first birth is that I realized that Christina, the personality complex, with all her learned behaviors, her upbringing, her conditioning, her cultural, genetic background, she needed to step aside. Christina needed to step aside. And the space that's created when Christina steps aside allows this higher self, the room, to manifest in the most profound moment of creation, actual birth of new life. So this was the start of my realization that was there, that there was a totally unique spiritual path inherent in pregnancy and childbirth for women. Gosh, I really, really resonate with that. I feel like you are so right you know I speak of this in so many different ways you know different words and with different women in different contexts but like the whole thing about in birth right your ego has to die your ego has to step aside your maiden has to die the mother has to be born it is so much more than what we are being told by this mainstream culture you know that it's a physical event that hurts you and you need to numb it and you need to tap out like no it's the opposite you need to dive on in and you need to you need to surrender the ego and that personality you're talking about that wanting to control that wanting to and and just yeah oh i couldn't agree more i love i love what you shared Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's it's really, really important that we acknowledge this, the, the spiritual value of pregnancy and birth, because that is something that's been removed from it. Like you say, it's just been turned into a medical emergency that we shouldn't feel at all. Just numb it, just make it go away. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I th- and, and if we if we do that, we also lose our most powerful route to higher consciousness that is anchored in the female body, in our female cyclical biology. You know, nature's design for us includes the spiritual path. And I I actually believe that women are particularly lucky because we have this playing out in our bodies. We have an instant access to consciousness and the highest 
dimension of spirituality, which men have to dedicate their lives towards attaining in monasteries, spiritual traditions, uh, uh, you know, different spiritual practices, exercises, and so on. We have we have a, the highway to heaven in our bodies, and yes. and this has been kept um, kept kept from the vast majority of people, and it's considered to be be a nonsense but i think it's very important part of reclaiming birth is reclaiming the spirituality of birth and that's one of the reasons why i have trained in recent years as a sacred birth keeper because the sacred in birth is something that is sorely missing in our civilization we need to to reinstate the practices the ceremonies the rituals that honor the depth of the experience. Yes, couldn't agree more. I really echo what you're saying in that it's truly feminine spirituality that's being reclaimed as we reclaim ourselves as channels between the heavens and the earth, right? Exactly. Oh, so you will become pregnant two more times. Let's dive on into the second. <laughs> <laughs> so the second one, I was uh, uh, a, a lot more prepared and I'd kind of, you know, uh, given myself permission to really think, nah, I don't really want to get caught up in the system. Uh, I think I went for one visit to uh, the antenatal clinic and I, I think I had one ultrasound. But that's when I first, my eyes were first open to the fact that they try and scare you. So, you know, I, I was, I, I, I was told by the midwife, I saw that there was a danger of um, uh, hemorrhaging if I gave birth at home, that basically tr trying to instill fear in me by, with different narratives about blood loss. So I decided not to go back to the antenatal clinic. And I started, that's when I started looking for home birth midwives and finding my, my own solutions. So God knows how I did it in those days before the internet. I must have called a lot of people on landlines, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I found this wonderful midwife who very experienced, an older woman, Orsa Barilund. And, you know, she's my soul mate because she she guided me over these two ne next births she uh, a swedish midwife who decided to support women who wanted to give birth at home i got to know her you know in the run-up to to the birth and she's just very calm very just instilled confidence in me and affirmed my own belief in my body's intelligence i think that's an important thing to acknowledge as well that the body is hugely intelligent we, we sort of think of intelligence as something that resides in the brain, in the neocortex, like you say. But in fact, every single process in our body is infinitely more intelligent than our neocortex, which is kind of paradoxical because, you know, all the transformations of substances, all the secretions of the glands, the digestion, the circulation, pregnancy itself, and the process of birth for which the body has had no training, no practice, and it just knows how to do the first time it does it, that is a, a very high form of intelligence. So, yeah, so she basically affirmed me in my, my hunch that the body was intelligent, more intelligent than Christina, this personality complex I mentioned earlier, and that I could trust in that. I could lean back and trust into that. 
So when labor started, I mean, this was a much quicker labor. And I, I like all the women I've spoken to over the last 20 years as a birth activist, I do realize now that my labors were easy. You know, I didn't feel like that at the time. It felt very challenging and there was pain and all sorts of things, but they were quick and easy, really. So labor started about three or four in the afternoon. I was working at my desk as a translator. I was in my home. I knew I didn't have to go anywhere. I had the birthing pool set up. I'd rented a birthing pool from England because there were none available in Sweden at the time and set up this fancy heating system because the hot water in my house was not enough and, uh, you know, changed the water every 24 hours. So I felt like, you know, I had that. I had all that. That was all ready. That was my the thing I knew I'd done, I prepared something for myself to rest in if I needed support. I'd done a lot of preparation. Yeah, I should also say that I did a lot of hypnobirthing, although it wasn't really known as that at the time. I bought a cassette tape from a lady in London. She can't remember her name now, but it was called the Jairani Way. This was an Indian woman. And she had this cassette tape where she was basically... She kept talking about the, the physiological tissues, you know, your uh, tissues open easily and smoothly. The baby slips through lightly and with ease, that sort of thing. So I listened to that every day for maybe three or four months. And that helped me tremendously prepare for birth at home. And then having the, the pool ready and then having the midwife that I felt trusted, trusted me and validated me in my own confidence. So when the when the labor started at about three or four in the afternoon, I was quite comfortable to carry on translating because I support myself as a translator. I've done that for 30 years now. So I was just, you know, typing away and then standing up to take a contraction, then typed a bit more, standing up to take a contraction. And then when I sort of felt like, oh, I don't know if, yeah, I can't really do this anymore. So then I went down to the room where the birthing pool was and carried on there on the sofa and so this was about maybe about six o'clock so only two hours of labor uh six o'clock I got into the water because it was it was getting really painful you know I was standing up taking contractions I was leaning uh, over the sofa I went into the sauna because I could hold on to these two uh, sides of the sauna I'm just finding my own positions basically uh, but when it's when it started getting overwhelming, I got into the water and that was just heaven, absolute heaven. You know, that weightlessness, the warmth, the caress of the water, feeling that I'd prepared this for myself so lovingly and I could just rest and relax and continue my deeply intelligent bodily work. And in between contractions, I'd just lean on the edge of the birthing pool and I would fall asleep. So I was, fell asleep between every contraction. And I think this is one of the privileges of an undisturbed birth that although the experience of the contractions is very intense and there's no denying pain, challenge, physical exertion, you can at the same moment that the snap of your fingers fall deeply to sleep and just rest completely for a minute or even 30 seconds. And what a gorgeous design by nature yeah. herself, God, goddess, whatever you want to call it. What a gorgeous, gorgeous dance has been created for us. And that we 
must need to experience the intensity of this force, the life force itself that passes through our bodies like a wind, like a tornado, like the snowstorm you described earlier. We need to experience that to gain access to the polar point around which the whole universe revolves, this point of perfect peace and stillness and letting go. The two are intimately connected. And if we allow it, this dance, it feels like the most primal of forces, like the forces of the atom, the forces of gravity of the solar system, of the the whole galaxy, the unfurling of the spirals, it pivots around that moment, the, the switch between the intensity of all the forces of the universe and the complete peace of that rest, the moment between the in-breath and the out-breath at its very peak is what you experience between the contractions. And that is what, what that was the first time I experienced that with the birth of my daughter. Um, so I worked like that for about an hour, falling asleep and, and taking the contractions in the water. And then the midwife came. Um, she didn't do anything, really, like a good midwife does. <laughs> she was just there enabling me, empowering me, loving me, not needing any attention, no ego stroking, no need to feel useful or anything. She was just in the corner of the room, her watchful eye making me feel completely safe, held. And so another hour, I think the total labor was four or five hours. About eight o'clock, it was becoming like, I can't cope with this anymore. This is too much. But then I was standing up in the water. I was standing up and just screaming pretty much, you know, like this wonderful lowing that we do this. Oh, this massaging of our own vagus nerve that we just do intuitively if we're allowed to slip into that altered state, you know, the the primal animalistic sound that the Tibetan monks work so hard for decades to achieve that we can just have well, by giving birth, have access to uh, this, the, the humming, the elk cow, the, you know, this really primal sound. I think everyone who's given birth knows exactly what I mean. So I was doing that and soothing myself and I was standing up and, and I was saying, I think I was by this time, I was just going, Wah! you know, the last few contractions, I was just screaming because I thought I was going to bloody die, you know, like we, we all do. And you do die. You do die. Like you rightly said, Anna, you do die. You die to your previous self. And that is what an initiation is. You know, mm. why pay me? Why pay hundreds of pounds to go on a retreat <laughs> to have an, an artificially induced initiation when you have access to this in your own human body? The most profound, deepest initiation of all. Mm. So, yeah. So anyway, so I was standing up and I remember... I remember reaching down and feeling my daughter and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. And that's when the midwife spoke. She can, you can do this. Receive your child. I said, I can't. I can't. She said, put your hands down, take her. So I did. And I took her and I brought her up to my chest. And I'm so, so grateful for the midwife that she, that at that point, she did exactly the right thing. She didn't step forward, rush forward and take my daughter for me. She knew, she knew me so well and she knew that moment so well that she, even though I was saying, I can't do it, I need someone else to do this for me. She knew 
to say, you can do it, Christina, and you're doing it now. And I did it. So I received my own daughter in my hands and took her to my chest. And so that was an absolute peak experience as well. And obviously a, a spiritual initiation. And, it, and that, when I realized I had a daughter, I think it was somewhere around there that I realized that, okay, I'm going to need to somehow document these experiences because they are such profound time out of time, out of matter, out of, you know, the connection with the eternal, with eternity. And yeah, just that timelessness outside of time. I need to start thinking about what does this mean and why is there nothing in the spiritual traditions written about this? Largely because the spiritual traditions are have been created by males. And again, this is one of the consequences of patriarchal culture. And males lose out when women don't have these transformational spiritual experiences. So that's where the, the seed of my book, Natural Birth, a Holistic Guide, um, that's where that, that, that started, I think, with the birth of my daughter. Because I thought, and you have this inner voice saying, to you, who are you to write a book? You're not a writer. How do you don't know? What makes you think you could write a book? And I just thought, well, if I just write it for my daughter, at least then I've documented this incredible, mind-blowing experience I've had. So that that's that's where it that's where the idea came, I think. So that you was know, that was birth number two. <laughs> wow. When you were when you were talking about you know, receiving your daughter and um, and that midwife and what she said, it brought tears to my eyes. It was really mm. so moving, deeply moving, so powerful. Your diet, your relationship, and what a profound initiation. Are you planning on becoming pregnant this year? Maybe you've already been trying for a while, or you're in the planning stages. Then the Conscious Conception Program might be for you. The Conscious Conception Program is for you who want to truly optimize your health and the future health of your baby. And prepare body, mind, heart, and soul to become the best mother you can be for your spirit baby. The program will be given over 12 weeks with bite-sized video lessons teaching you years of fertility and conception knowledge in an easily digestible way without the overwhelm. Each week you'll be introduced to a new easy practice or lifestyle change that you together with a conscious conception sisterhood can implement and finally make into your normal daily routine without the struggle of trying to do all the good things all at once and all by yourself. Each week you'll meet with me and the same group of women that will be doing these lifestyle changes and conscious conception preparations together. For 12 weeks, you'll get my undivided attention and expert advice at our live calls as you're introduced to new information and practices to take you closer to conceiving your spirit baby. There's lots that can be done on a physical level in optimizing egg quality and creating a fertile womb soil. But being as this is a conscious conception program, we go so much deeper than that. We dive into the mind, heart, 
and soul part too. With spiritual practices for fertility and conception, connection with your spirit baby, becoming the mother you want to be for your future child, meditation practices, womb awakening practices, mindfulness practices, and feminine embodiment practices, to name a few. If this program has sparked your curiosity, then head on over to sacredbirthinternational.com or click on the link in the bio to find out more. For this first round, starting on the 2nd of April, I'm offering this program at a heavy discount, only for this first round. So if you're planning to become pregnant this year and really want to optimize your chances, as well as prepare to be the mother you wish to be for your spirit baby, then this is your invitation. I'm so grateful for the women who have come into my life in different ways, that what they've enabled and opened up for me through, again, seemingly small things, actions, words. It's in those, it's in the little things that the most precious part of life resides. Yeah. Yes. And I think the, the more conscious a person is, the more aware you are, the more you understand that, mm. you know, deeply inside. That's mm. mm. more so often, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So how long was this birth? About four, well, five hours probably from three o'clock wow. in the afternoon. She was born at 20 past eight in the evening. Wow. That is, that is fast and furious. I know, but I didn't know any different. <laughs> no, that was your know, perfect. I, I hadn't become a birth activist then, so I didn't really know what other people's births were, were like. And I, I'm, I'm another woman I'm really grateful to is my mother, because, you know, although she did not have a great birth experience with me, it, it was physiological, but, you know, it was in a hospital in Sweden in the 1965. And, you know, she was a, a single mother, not married. So the midwives were fairly horrible to her and oh. unkind and did quite a few, you know, unpleasant things to her. But she never instilled the fear of birth in me or allowed her the abuse that was directed against her to influence me in any way. She kept that clean for me. She basically didn't really talk about birth in the run-up to, to, to my birth. Not that I that I asked her or anything, but she could easily have just, you know, if she would just have mechanically done what most of us do is you just can't help yourself. You just end up saying, oh, well, my birth wasn't very nice and, blah, 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 and this happened and that happened. And, and so I'm so grateful to her for just refraining from saying anything because she left an open space for me to step into my own experience. Mm -hmm. And I have obviously afterwards, I have spoken to her about it and found out what, the, what, what, what how my birth was. So we have communicated about this afterwards, but I'm very grateful that she didn't create a subconscious template for me of a negative expectation with regard to, to birth. It was just empty, just a blank slate. And coming into your third then, so how far between are your second and your third baby? Uh, well, there's three years between each of them. And I, I, what I did was I just breastfed. So I breastfed Theo my first for three years and then as soon as I stopped breastfeeding I got pregnant 
And then I breastfed Ella, not quite for three years, but uh, nearly. And then as soon as I stopped breastfeeding, I got pregnant again. So for me, that worked really, really well as a natural contraceptive and natural spacing between children. Yeah, I realized that might not be the case for everyone. But I've again, I feel like nature's intelligent design. Nature knows exactly what she's doing with these experiences. Yeah. Um, and so by this point, though, are you a little birth rebel by the by this point? Are you an advocate? No, or? not, not yet. No, no, mm. no, no, absolutely not. But I had started talking to other people about this bloody amazing experience that I've had. And what I found was that almost universally, well, I'll say universally, that was not the experience that other people were having. So I did feel alone. I felt weird. I doubted my own experience. Was it really that good or am I imagining things? Because, you know, I was getting this like, oh, my God, no, my birth was absolutely horrific. I never want to give birth again. I can't believe I had a second child. I was so stupid. You know, literally, though, that kind of feedback is what I was getting from other women. Yeah. So, but that's, like I said, I, I had this seed that I thought, well, I'd better put this down into words, if nothing else, for the sake of my own daughter. So that's kind of where I was by the time I got pregnant with my, with my third child who, I, again, I just did the same the same thing because it worked with, with my daughter. I, I listened to that cassette tape again and again, probably maybe a bit longer, maybe for four, more, four or five months, and asked the same midwife to support me, uh, arranged the same setup with the birthing pool because it had worked so well. The pregnancy was a bit more challenging. You know, it was my third and I had two little children running me ragged around the house. And I was, by this time, you know, starting to homeschool the first and running a business from home. So it was it was quite intense. And with hindsight, I would have taken better care of myself. This is why I think what's happening now with postpartum care and postpartum doulas, it's such a precious, precious part of the evolution of all of mankind because honoring the mother is something that we have forgotten how to do in our culture. You know, we think that feminism and equality means behaving like men in the workplace and in life. And this is so wrong and harmful mm. for the boys that are growing up in this environment, as well as obviously the girls. Mm. But yeah, I just want to, again, uh, make it clear that this is not a, a feminist issue or a women's rights issue, really. It's a human issue. The, the future of humanity is at stake. And how we view pregnancy, birth and motherhood is a key aspect of the transition that we're on the threshold of as a species, as, as a body of a living body comprised of billions of human cells, individuals mm. in this collected body. But anyway, so um, with Gabriel, my lovely Gabriel, I prepared in the same way and... Uh, Oh yeah, that's right. Because I was I was doing the preparation a little bit more in earnest. I guess you get better at any, anything you you practice. So I was envisaging my cervix because now I'd had my cervix open twice. So I kind of I had more of a visceral understanding of what that meant and what that felt like. So I used a lot of images to visualize my cervix opening, like images of uh, camera apertures. Uh, unfolding flowers opening you know anything that was sort of circular spiral shaped I would look at that and I'd try to meditate on that and and just um, 
help my cervix open gently and slowly. And that actually happened. That happened. So this birth was very different. The mucal plug went and then nothing happened for a week because with the others, the mucal plug went and, 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 you know, the first birth was 12 hours total. The second birth was five hours total. So when the mucal plug went, I thought, oops, that this is going to happen now soon. But that was not the case because I think the mucal plug probably went at an earlier stage and it was a slower opening because of all the visualization and preparation I was doing. This with hindsight, that's this is my rationalization anyway. But um, yeah, so that birth, that birth was was slower. And then there was a week of just sort of waiting really not having any contractions or anything but no mucal plug oh yeah that's right i uh, this is another thing I, I didn't mention with ella my my second child and with gabriel they both named themselves in that sort of liminal state um, during pregnancy and late pregnancy during a rest or a half sleep they came to me and named themselves so uh, ella ella appeared to me as a middle-aged woman about 40 with short curly hair or sort of wavy styled hair and quite bossy uh, quite sort of not aggressive but very determined she says I'm Ella no debating you know there's no discussing this she just was Ella and I was like okay 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 and then after this all sorts of things have happened with my daughter she had a, a uh, as an 18-year-old, a, a major brain injury and a personality change as a result of that. But that's the subject of a different podcast. But in any case, life has explained to me why she came to me in this way, in that dream, because her personality really changed. So that's that's just very, very interesting, this sort of communication between, and this is what I mean about the time out of time, the timelessness of pregnancy and birth it really is a unique opportunity to communicate with the past and the future and the eternal that resides free, liberated of time, the con constraints of time and matter. So I think it's not an unusual experience to have communications with your unborn child. But this um, became clear to me, both with Ella, who named herself, and then Gabriel, who also came to me in a dream. He came to me as a, as a baby. God knows why. But anyway, it was just a baby that said, you know, Gabriel, my name's Gabriel. And I was like, oh, no, I don't like that name. Oh, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted him I wanted him to be named Leonard or Cademan. <laughs> God knows why. But anyway, so, so he came to me and said he was Gabriel. And I was like, oh, I was trying to ignore that. Owen, I think I wanted as well, Owen. I, I was out during this week after the mucal plug had gone and I was just waiting. Uh, I was out and about and I went to the car broke down. I took it to some car repair place and then I started to have contractions and I thought, oh, shit. Uh, I was out with both children and the car had broken down. And uh, so I went to sit down. I sat down on one of the high stools by the counter in the mechanics workshop <laughs> And I just took the contractions, just took the contractions, calmed myself down. And then when I had a sort of, I realized, okay, I'm not going to give birth imminently. My water's haven't broken yet. I stood up and I looked down at the stool I was sitting on and it said Gabriel on the stool. 
Uh, I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to call him Gabriel. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's it, that's it. <laughs> I have no say in this. This is, just, uh, this is just the way reality works now, magical reality. Well, when I left the workshop, there was a big poster in the window saying, give life. So I just thought, all right, that's it. I have no say. This is Gabriel coming now and he's coming. And then within a day or two, uh, he was he, he was born even even quicker. And he came really softly, gently in the night. So at about 1230, after I'd gone to sleep, I started having these sort of period like sensations. I tried to carry on sleeping. You know, by this time, I did, certainly didn't want to rush up because I'd wake up children, husband and start a circus. So. I just tried to stay asleep as long as I could. After about an hour in bed, I just quietly went downstairs into the room I'd prepared, just quietly, quietly, softly. It's like velvet in the darkness. I've really enjoyed that working in the dark in the night. That was so lovely. I felt so safe and held by the night. Continued working for a couple of hours. Then I started lowing. And I remember shouting up to my husband upstairs, Oh, I think you know. I think it's happening. He's like, no, it's not happening yet. You're not, you know, you're not loud enough. I think he wanted to carry on sleeping. So um, I continued like this by about three a.m. I was in, I was in the water, and I said to him, "You've got to have to get the midwife now." So she, so she came. The same woman again. She came in about forty minutes before he was born, and again, she didn't need to do anything. She's just standing in the corner of the room, just holding the space. She was the still point of the turning world, and so was I. I just knew she was there for me 100%. She was listening to my every breath, my every sound, watching the flutter of my eyelids. She knew exactly where I was and needed to do nothing. <sighs> so grateful, so grateful. And so at 4.44, Gabriel was born and... Uh, by this time, Ad, Adam just about came down. But, you know, I just did it all myself, all, all myself and received in myself. And, and oh, yes, and the um, umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck a couple of times, but never a moment of, of you know, concern or worry either from me or from the midwife. There was never any fear in that room or any, any thinking in that room. I just remember the midwife, well, you know, when I was holding him, she just gently, gently stepped towards me and she just put one finger around the umbilical cord and untangled it from around his neck. And it was all just done in complete silence with like balletic dexterity. Ah, you know, just one of those move, moments where everything is moving really, really slowly. There's infinite amounts of time to do everything a bit of a matrix moment you know when they're like moving really slowly through the air that's what it felt like that was my matrix moment when she untangled the umbilical cord from around his neck and everything was just perfect perfect so that was my third and so after these extraordinary experiences which are the birthright of every single woman that's when I started to think, what the hell is wrong with the way women are treated in birth? Because, like I said, I didn't hear anyone else talking about profound spiritual experiences or even positive experiences. So then I started to look into 
how the maternity system worked, and that is when I become became a birth activist. And uh, shortly after that, we're in 2013, I met Maria Bengtsson, my wonderful best friend and business partner, and she had had similar empowering uh, birth experiences. And from then on, we were just best mates and became, you know, passionate birth activists. But I wrote my book in about 2010. So by then I was sufficiently removed from the immediacy of being the mother of you know infants and very young children and I'd also have had a bit of perspective on my birth experiences and I'd had time to digest and think through what they meant spiritually so my book was published yeah in 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 2010 and uh yeah, I think it's important. I think it's an important contribution because every single woman who experiences this can make an important contribution to all the future generations of women and men who are going to become parents and how that plays out. This beautiful future that we are on the threshold of birthing collectively now. Mm. So please voice, voice your experiences. <laughs> yeah. And you and Maria has you've both also now recently written a new book currently in Swedish only but hopefully translated uh, soon to English that is if you would translate it to English what would you call your book well probably not that I mean I'm the working title at the moment is like revolution in the maternity factory but that's that's a bit of a it's a bit of a literal (laughs) translation I'm sure a publisher can come up with something more punchy but that's basically what it's about the 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 second book my second book that I wrote with Maria is um, that's a much more kind of political activist book it is a systematic review of the flaws inherent in the maternity system uh, that in detail describes how the current Western maternity system is rigged against the physiology uh, of birth and a woman's biological processes and hormonal processes. It's rigged. So the odds are stacked against you if you go into that system blindly without doing your research first. And it's so great. You have it out now in Swedish. It's definitely very needed here in Sweden. And every birth worker in Sweden who can, you know, understand Swedish should read it. And soon when it's in, you know, out in English, then it should be everywhere. So that's a great contribution. Thank you for bringing that body of work. I know it's a big thing to bring to the world. Now, if you had a first-time mama in front of you right now who's about to have her first baby and she really wants to have a natural and empowering birth experience, what advice and pearls of wisdoms would you give to her? I would say, my darling sister, you are so loved by the women who've come before you and whose wisdom and intelligence is embodied in every cell of your body. They birthed you, your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, a thousand generations back in time, and all of them lived to produce offspring and know that you are healthy in your being. Prepare for birth. Use your neocortex, your frontal lobes, to assimilate information that will help you return to that physiology. Because you are alive in a culture, a civilization, 
where the odds are stacked against you, having an empowering experience supported by um, women who know how to give birth and who have seen many births, use your intelligence to read up and prepare your body for birth. So like I described myself, that hypnobirthing, I think, is a very useful tool, whether you call it hypnobirthing meditation or listening to cassette tapes, whatever you want. <laughs> but that sort of training, training your neural mm. circuitry to have positive expectations of opening and release and ease and flowing. You can train your brain to facilitate those physical processes. I think that's an important part of taking responsibility for your experience is preparation. So prepare for birth. Do not assume that your biology will necessarily unfold as it's designed to do because you are living in the world where the odds are stacked against you. So assume responsibility for where you find yourself in time, in culture, in place, and take charge. It's your experience, your body, your child, your life that's going to play out. And you are on the threshold of your greatness of your moment of seeing who you really are. And to do that, listen inward, because you have an inner voice, you have an inner knowing that is connected to those foremothers, and not only to the foremothers, but to the future generations of humans that are standing in the future, applauding you, bowing to you, cheering you on, knowing what you are capable of. So listen to that voice and do not become hypnotized, entranced by all the negativity, fear-mongering in the external world around you. You know you are beautiful, gorgeous, loved, held, and there's a whole community of women around you right now ready to support you. Reach out, ask for help. Your body knows. Mm. Mm. It's been absolutely a tremendous pleasure. I absolutely adore and love every word you've shared today. I feel so inspired. You speak my language and it's, it tickles every cell of my being. <laughs> oh, my beautiful sister, likewise. And I'm so grateful for this space that you hold and the threads that you are constantly throwing out into the world and weaving with all the other wonderful women that are doing this really critical work at the, in these seemingly dark times. We are the shoots pressing through the dark soil up towards the light, and we are all connected, and I'm so grateful for your presence. Beautiful, Anna. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, then please consider sharing it. Leave a review or make a contribution on our Patreon page. And if you want to connect on social media, then find the podcast on Instagram as The Natural Birth Podcast. Thank you for listening.